scripture reading this morning will be from Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 15. That will be on page 1047 in the Pew Bibles. Colossians 4, 7 through 15. Tychus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him, him to you this, for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all, all which is happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, his co the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always labor, laboring fervently for you in, pray, in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you, and that those who are in Laodicea and those in Heropolis, Luke, the brother physician of D Demas, greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Memphis and the church that is in his house. Good morning. It is good to be together this morning as a church family. And if you're a guest of us this morning, we welcome you. We're glad that you're here. It encourages us that you're here. And we want to be an encouragement to you. We want to be sure that everybody, especially our people with young children, remember that we have a spring egg hunt this coming Saturday. We want you to be here. Bring your kids, bring your grandkids, bring your neighbor's kids. Uh, and also you can look in the bullets and see the details about how you can be involved in just helping provide things or be involved in the day itself. And as you might be inviting your neighbors and et cetera to that, keep in mind the very next day is Easter and there'll be a lot of people that will be looking for a place to worship. And it'd be wonderful to also invite the family to be with us next Sunday. But then also invite them for the following Sunday. The Sunday after that is our Friends Day. And it's just a tremendous day uh, that, that we can be together. Everybody needs a friend. It doesn't matter if you're a pig or a dog. You need a friend. And here, what we've done last year, and we decided to do it again this year the same way because it went so well, even though it was really plan B last year. Uh, but we will continue to worship at the same time Sunday morning, even the Bible classes, invite your friend, bring them to your Bible class. But then at four o'clock, we'll meet here in the auditorium for a period of worship, and then we'll go to the rear of the building, and we'll enjoy a hot dog fellowship together. And then after that, we'll enjoy a fellowship of activity kick off the activities will be our second annual game of gotcha uh, with the elders and uh, that was really a great time and then there will be other activities for children uh, cornhole ping pong all kind of other tournaments and activities also for adults there'll be more said about that in your Bible class this morning and even ways as a class that uh, you can help out in that and so be sure and be uh, planning on that and helping in every way you can also, 
I want to encourage you, if you're sitting on the end of a pew this morning, to take uh, the stack of cards and you will see uh, that we have cards to invite folks to Friends Day. It gives the detail, the who, what, when, and where on the back. And hey, we, we purchased enough of these cards for you to take four or five each. And so we hope that over the next couple of weeks, you have some people that uh, you've been praying about and that you will go and give a personal invitation to. And uh, this is a great way to let them be reminded of the details. But then also we hope you keep a few on you. And, and I hope you're praying about maybe who God would allow your path to cross with them so that you'd have the opportunity to reach in your wallet, reach in your purse and say, hey, I want to invite you uh, to join us at the Mount Juliet congregation. And so uh, use those and pray about it. And let's really strive to make a difference in somebody's eternity, uh, as well as encouraging us. Friends Day is a wonderful time for us to be together and just enjoy each other. You know, that's what families do. Families spend time together. Families eat together. Families play together. Families work together. Families should worship together. And we want as a church family to do all of that together. Uh, also, we grieve with each other. And as already several uh, announcements have been made, allow me to mention to you that Miss Frances Metter which is the mother of Linda Clemens has passed away and they are making the arrangements today uh, that the funeral will be at the Hermitage Funeral Home, probably a visitation tomorrow and possibly a funeral Tuesday, but hopefully tonight we'll be able to give you what the exact uh, plans of that funeral is. And uh, as a family, uh, we want to continue to support each other, love each other, weep with each other, laugh with each other. Let's truly, truly be God's family to each other. With that in mind, I'd like for you to think with me for just a moment as we're going to work to that text that was so capably read. Not many easy names in that text. And, and I'd like for you, though, to go back with me. Back when the world's population was smaller. How much smaller, you say? The population of one. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? What's the world's population? One. What did God do when the world's population was one? He looked down and he said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper comparable to him. You see, from the very beginning, we see the idea that God never created us to be islands setting off to ourselves. We don't thrive when we have the mentality of think of me. I want to think of me. I want to take care of me. I don't care about anyone else. One of the greatest stories of love for each other that we could have just someone loving and caring for each other, one for another is really between two women if you would quickly go back to Ruth the first chapter I want to remind you of this just as a way to to kick off of what God has shown us all throughout the scriptures as then we make our way back to this beautiful text of Paul but we have Elimelech and Naomi and they left Judah because of a famine they took their two sons with them, of course, and, and they moved to Moab. And while they were there, their sons fell in love with, with women of Moab, and so they married. The Bible doesn't tell us how it happened, but it tells us what happened. All three of the husbands died. And so now there's an older widow and two younger widows. And it's very, very difficult for a woman to make it on her own in that day and time, and especially an older widow. And so Naomi was going to try to be very respectful to the younger women. And, and she found out that things were better in Judah. So she decided she's going to go back to Judah and try to survive. But she, she relieves, if you will, the, the younger women from feeling guilty of leaving her. And she tells them, you go back to your parents. They can take care of you. I can't take care of you. And so the one 
kisses her and cries. They loved each other and she departs. But when we read down in 15, Ruth at the end of 14 clung to her. And in 15, she said, look, your sister-in-law's gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. And then we have some of the most beautiful words of commitment to one another that we read in the scriptures. Look what Ruth says to her mother-in-law in 16. Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And the Lord do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts you and me. And many of you know the rest of that story. She travels back with her and she takes care of her mother-in-law. And no doubt the providence of God is involved in this. And as she's out gathering barley to take care of the mother-in-law, Boaz sees her out in the field and he's attracted to her and Boaz takes her in as a wife and, and ends up, of course, being able to provide very much sufficiently for her and for the mother-in-law. And then you remember this woman, Ruth, a woman of such great loyalty to someone else was the one who was the great grandmother of what many consider one of the greatest men who have ever lived, King David. We look at him and say, what an amazing man. He had such a heart for God and such a heart for others. Where did that come from? Well, at least from Ruth, we see that it was a part of his family's lineage. They really did care for people. They really did love other people. Such devotion. And this morning, I just want to try to find our way into your heart, into my heart, with what the will of God is. Look, if you look to your left and right right now, there is no doubt about it. God expects you to care for the people sitting around you. It's not just a pretty sermon. It's not just, hey, here's a casual thought. And it's not even just a recommendation. God expects us to care for his family. He expects us to be a part of it. And he expects us to care deeply. And so the idea of us being in the kingdom and some way living alone, there's no such thing as being alone in the kingdom. The very kingdom idea is the fact that we've been adopted into God's family and now Christ is reigning over our life and we are kingdom people. In other words, what has brought us together is the king. Now, I got to admit to you that there was a time in my life where I thought this often, and, and I'm kind of ashamed to admit it to you. But oftentimes I would see passages like this morning scripture reading, and I would think foolishly, well, that's just the end where Paul felt like he had to sign off. But Paul's there for just a moment. Are these last few verses of passages like Colossians, are they inspired by God? Didn't God choose to put this in the scripture? He didn't have to. What is it that God wants us to see as he uses several verses here in the holy inspiration to show us what? Well, one thing he's going to show us as powerful is that Paul did not serve God alone. 
I think sometimes we picture in our mind like Rembrandt here. And when he was 21 years of age, he pictured Paul in prison. And there's no doubt. I say there's no doubt. I would, I would suppose that in prison, Paul spent some time alone. But listen, if that's our idea is that Paul was always alone or if if our idea is he went out there as an individual alone, a, a lone man to do all this mission work. We haven't read the scriptures, have we? When he did his mission work, he was always with others. And oftentimes, even when he was in prison, he can't write about his prison time without giving a long list of people that are influencing him and serving him. Let me remind you, we've not talked about this a lot as we've studied through Colossians this time. But remember, Colossians is a letter that he wrote from prison. There are four epistles that we call prison epistles. And Colossians is one of them. And so isn't it interesting that he closes his prison epistle with this long list of names of people that are still making a huge impact in his life. Now, I don't want to belabor this point, but I want us to appreciate this point before we get into this and then even continue a little more tonight. And you say, well, it's the great apostle Paul. Of course, people would want to be in his involved in his life, wouldn't they? Because after all, if they were associated with him, why was he in prison? He was in prison because he was standing up for Jesus Christ. Now, what if you came by to try to take care of the Apostle Paul and people figured out, oh, so you stand up for Jesus Christ also. It'd be very tempting then to think, you know, if I stand with Paul, they're going to arrest me also. We don't have a slide for this, but I want to take you back to 2 Timothy Paul's last writing, and it's when he was in prison again uh, at another time. And in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8, I want to remind you of what he was pleading. The previous verse, he was pleading for Timothy to not be a man led by fear. And, and then in verse 8, notice what he says. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 8, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. What's Paul saying there? Don't be ashamed of me just because I'm in prison. Stand up for the gospel. Paul, what are you saying? It'd have been easy to be ashamed of him. Do you remember Matthew, the 25th chapter? We have that great passage where he's telling... Jesus is telling what the day of judgment may look like or will look like. And he says, there's going to be people that they would have given food or drink. And, and, and Jesus says, you gave it to me. And they says, we don't remember giving that to you. And he says, when you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you've did it, done it to me. And remember, he also talks about taking in strangers. And he also talks about going to visit sick. Do you remember that last one that he said? He also said that you've come and you've visited me in prison. Why was that so significant in that day and time? You see, in that day and time, the prison system didn't provide all of your needs. If you were in prison, pretty much the only way you survived is that someone around would bring food to you so that you could survive in prison. And if it was cold, remember 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, he was being held in prison. And what did he ask for? Bring my coat. If you wanted covers, 
If you wanted food, if you wanted the bare necessities of life, you better hope that there's someone who will come visit you. And it's not just to say hello. It's to say, what can I provide for you today? Isn't it interesting that this list of, of this scripture reading that is our text this morning in Colossians, the fourth chapter, it's almost like Paul is saying, let me tell you about some people that have fulfilled Matthew 25. Where would I be if it were not for these people? I'd be dead. These people have helped keep me alive physically and spiritually. We need each other. And so let's look at Tychicus this morning. Look at verse 7. We're in Colossians, the fourth chapter. I'd like for you to notice three ways he describes him. And, and the deeper I studied these this week, the more I just was impacted and, and convicted about the descriptions here. Uh, I'd like to begin and end with these three descriptions here. Notice what he says. First, he says he's a beloved brother. Second, he says he's a faithful minister. And third, he says he's a fellow servant in the Lord. And Paul is going to send him to Colossae because, by the way, he's probably delivering the letter to Colossae. And so he's going to send him to give the news about me. But let's go back and let's think of these three quickly. What did he say? He said, he is my beloved brother. Why were they brothers? They were brothers because they'd been adopted by God and Jesus Christ is their elder brother. Wait a minute, Paul. Jesus Christ is your elder brother? That's interesting. He's my elder brother also. Well, that makes us brothers and sisters. That's how it works. Look, there is nothing that you will have of greater importance, more in common with anybody this week that you run into than what you're enjoying right now. And that is we are brothers and sisters because we have the same father and the same elder brother. And if you feel like you have something more in common with somebody else this week, you're struggling in your faith. You say, oh, no, I feel really connected at work because we do the same thing. There's something a lot stronger than your career that ought to connect you with people on this earth. If you are a child of God, you ought to be connected with brothers and sisters more than anything. Oh, no, I've lived on the same street. Our neighbors on that street, I'm more connected with them than anyone. You've got problems because you need to be connected with those that's going to live on a heavenly street together. Oh, well, we're just a close physical family. You know, we really don't do much with anybody else. We're just a close physical family. You need to be close to a spiritual family. Paul, tell us about this man. Tell us about him. And he says, oh, he's my brother. But then he says, he's my beloved brother. In other words, here's a man that I love deeply. How is it that you grow to love God's family deeply? Well, I think the next two are going to help us, at least in some sense, come to understand how that could happen. Notice that second description is a faithful minister. The word minister here is, is really similar uh, to that word of like where we get deacons. It's the idea of one, and it's in the very root of the word, it's the idea of one who serves tables. Like we know what it is today to go to a restaurant and we see those that are designated in the restaurant. They've been hired to serve the tables. In other words, it's the word for the basic word for servant. And I want you to imagine there's 10 tables here. And I want you to imagine that here's a person that comes and they serve every one of those tables and they do it faithfully. They do the best they can. Paul, who is this man? And he says, Tychicus is a man that whatever that he is called to do, 
He faithfully serves. And we're going to see before this morning is over with, we're going to see that he would serve various cities. Paul used him almost like an interim minister to go out and, and to serve, whether it was Crete or Ephesus or going to Jerusalem. It's amazing how he was faithful. He was a servant that could be counted on. But then there's also another word for servant here, but it's a different word and, and it carries with it a beautiful message. And look again there in verse seven, and that is fellow servant in the Lord. And that word servant there has to do with bond slave. It's the idea of who owns you. Notice he's a fellow servant in the Lord. Paul, who is his master? His master is the Lord. So we have this man who's willing to serve tables, but why? What is the motive? The Lord is his master. That's why he serves tables. And Paul says, and by the way, that's true for me too. See the word fellow? He says, that's true for me too. The Lord is my master. That's why I serve others. And we're doing this together. Now we're back around to where we begin. Beloved brother. Why do you love him so much? Because we work together so much. We both have the same Lord. We're both servants of the same master. We're both serving everybody because of our Lord. He is a fellow servant in the Lord. You look over at someone and say, this is my fellow worker. We know immediately what that means. You two work together. I hope you can look around and say, here are my fellow servants in the Lord. We all serve the Lord together. And if we faithfully minister, we then will be much more likely to be able to say of each other, we are beloved brethren. We've grown close. We love each other deeply. What would this kind of minister, what would this kind of servant do? How could you depend on him, Paul? And keep in mind, Paul's in prison as he's writing this. And so now look at verse eight. Notice in verse eight, he says, I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. And he says he's sending them along with Onesimus and tonight we'll look at that. And, and notice the, the, the next verse. They will make known to you all things which are happening here to me. Now, that's interesting to think that they're going to arrive with a letter. And you read the book of Colossians and what are you going to want to know? The book of Colossians doesn't tell us a lot about how Paul himself is doing. He's in prison. How's he doing physically? Here is what Paul is referring to. All the other questions you're going to have, I'm sending him to you so that you can ask all these kind of questions so you can know about us and how I'm doing. But also I'm sending him to you so that he can come to you and he can know your circumstance and he can comfort you and he can come back and let me know how you're doing. Well, how did it work? You just read verse eight. I want you to notice just a simple breakdown of verse eight on this next screen. If we're going to really comfort one another and we're going to go as a servant to one another, there's going to be three things that Paul mentions here that we're going to have to do. One is we're going to have to go. And then if we're really going to understand people's circumstances, we're going to have to listen to them. And if you're saying, well, that's simple enough. Keep in mind for most people, 
That's not very simple. As a rule of thumb, we do not do a good job listening. And if we do a good job listening, it's because we've worked at it and we've trained ourselves, we've disciplined ourselves, and even at that moment, we're working at it. So we go and we listen. And then I love that idea where he says, I'm sending them there to comfort you. Because the word comfort literally means to come up beside or to come alongside someone. It's hard to comfort someone from a distance. And so what we do is we go and we listen to understand. Do you remember 1 Peter 3 and 7 where he tells husbands to dwell with your wives according to knowledge? Or another translation would say dwell with them in understanding. In other words, God is saying in relationships, I want you to interact with each other. I want you in a relationship to come along beside each other. And I want you to listen to each other. And I want you to help each other. And I want you to serve one another. Paul believed he was this kind of servant. That he could send him and he truly would be willing to listen so that he could comfort. I'll give you an illustration that, that happened just the other day. I was talking to a man about arriving for a speaking appointment. And, and so he asked me, he said, what's your schedule? And I said, well, I will, the, the plane will land at about four and that'll give me a couple hours. I said, I, I kind of always like to spend a couple hours looking over a lesson before I deliver it. And I said, that'll be just right. I'll use those couple hours to do that. And then, then I'll be there at seven to speak. And he promptly said, all right, well, if you get in at four, then we're going to take you to supper. And so we'll meet you at five o'clock and we'll eat together and that'll get you there in time for seven. That's pretty common, isn't it? That's about how good most people listen. And so what did I do? All right, I'll see you at five o'clock. Looking forward to supper with you. It wasn't any use. How could you say it any more plain? Listen, you and I need to stop and think when we're approaching someone, have we even listened to what they just said? Or have we pulled the old thing of, I know exactly what I'm going to say to that person whenever I see them, and it doesn't matter what they say. Paul knew that Tychicus was the type of man that he could send and he would listen. We're talking about something that's not easy. I want to challenge you. If you have a 12-year-old, make sure that you make a commitment that as they enter their teen years, you will never stop listening to them. Our kids don't always need to hear from us. A lot of the time, our kids need to be heard by us. It's hard to support a kid going through the teen years when they don't have anybody that will just listen. In our families, we need people that will listen. You could be that person. But listen, in our church family, we need people that will just listen. Sitting around you right now, there's people you probably haven't heard very much from. You may have sat where you're sitting for years. And there may be somebody right around you that sat there for years. And you can honestly say, I've never listened to them. Ooh, that sounds offensive, doesn't it? See, what we like to say, you know how we say it, don't you? We say, they've never talked to me. No, let's just be honest. You've never listened to them. 
If you'd go up and just start talking and listening, they would probably talk to you. But why would you talk to somebody who's not going to listen? A great thing for you to do this morning is look around your Sunday morning Bible class and think, who is it in this class? I've been around for a while and I do not know. We're inviting them to lunch and I just want to listen to them. How can we comfort people? How can we support people? God says, I put you together as a family. How are we going to support each other if we don't even take the time to listen to each other? And we can't use the excuse. They don't talk to me. The burden's on us to listen. How powerful is that? As we close this morning, I want to just quickly show you three passages. And, and we're going to do this real quick, more like an outline. So if this interests you, take notes and study it. I love studying this and I wish we had another 15 minutes, but we don't. And Acts the 20th chapter is the first time that we meet Tychicus. And we met him as Paul was on the end of his third missionary journey. That collection had been collected that they were going to deliver back into Jerusalem. And the different churches selected men that they could trust that would take that money back. And so Paul meets up with them after his episode in Ephesus. He meets up with them in Troas. And he's on this list of individuals that have been sent as a messenger to deliver this, these funds. And so when we read of this in Colossians, the fourth chapter, what's interesting is that we can tell Paul and him are very close, which means that was four years prior to this. So that means for at least now four years, as we come into Colossians, for four years, there must have been some kind of regular interaction between Paul and this faithful servant. Then I'd like to take you to Titus the third chapter. You remember Paul loved Titus and Paul was in the winter of his life. And look here in Titus 3 and 22. When I send Artemis to you or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me and Nicopolis for I have decided to spend the winter there. Paul is not only in the winter of a season, he's in the winter of his life. It's very similar kind of language in 2 Timothy 4. He just wants to see Titus. But he knows that Titus is doing a great work there on the island of Crete. What it seems, and I want to emphasize that because we don't know 100%. But from reading this, what it seems like he's saying is he's saying, look, I'm sending one of two men to you. And when they get there, it's going to free you up to come back and make a short visit with me. I'm in the winter of my life and I want to see you before I pass on. Well, who are you going to send? Oh, I've got a couple of men that they can be counted on. They're faithful. I could send one of them. All right, so that was the island of Crete. Now let's go to 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And you probably remember this one. We just tend to know this one a little bit better. But sometimes we concentrate on 13 and we fail to notice verse 12. Look at 2 Timothy 4 and 12. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So he sent him to Ephesus. Now, who was working at Ephesus? You know who was working there. That's where Timothy was working. And so that's why he says in 13 to Timothy, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus of Troas when you come and the books, especially the parchments. So what's he saying? He's saying, look, and, and to me, the wording here is interesting. He doesn't say, Timothy, I'm sending Tychicus to you. He says, I'm sending him to Ephesus, almost as if to say, when you leave and come visit me before the winter, and you bring my coat, my books, my parchments, he's going to be able to stay there at Ephesus to keep the work going there. What do we see here? And by the way, in, in order, this would be, we would have read about Acts 20. Four years later would have been Colossians. And a few a short time later would have been Titus. And then a short time after that would have been Timothy. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing a picture of a man 
who was so faithful. And so when Paul's able to write to this man, he's able to call him a beloved brother, a faithful servant, a fellow servant or bond servant in the Lord. So what I learned today, I learned that the Lord doesn't save us to walk alone. Number two, I learned that we have the same master. Therefore, we ought to feel connected because we are. Don't just look for the place to attend church. Be the church and love the church. Be able to say, when you come in on Sunday morning with a genuine and an honest heart, be able to say, this is my beloved brethren. And if you say, oh, I, I just can't do that. Don't be satisfied to say, I can't do it. Figure out why. Why is it that you don't connect with God's family? Why is it that you don't love God's family? Why is it that you don't serve with God's family? There is no greater common denominator on earth, the universe, or into eternity than being adopted into God's family. Kingdom people, kingdom people do not walk this way alone. It's all about our King and His kingdom. Let's love each other. Let's listen to each other. Let's understand each other. Let's serve each other. And tonight, or this morning, if you want to respond to the Lord's invitation, and if there's anything we can do to love you, and to help you and to serve you, we want to do it. If we just need to listen to you, we want to listen. Please let us know how we can help you grow closer to God. Let's be fervent in our prayers for each other. If you're ready to become a Christian and be baptized into Christ, or if you're ready to be restored, or if you need the prayers of the church,